Holy, there is no one like you. There is none beside you. And I will build my life upon your love. It is a firm foundation. And I will put my trust in you alone. Lord Jesus, I pray, Lord, that when we leave here today, that those words may stick in us, Lord, that we may look upon you as the only true hope, as the only true purpose, that we may trust in you alone. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning. Isn't it good to be with God's people? Amen. October 2019. It just feels like a few months ago we were celebrating Christmas, right? And it's already going to be Christmas in just a couple of months. It's amazing. Time flies. And I know that this year has been an eventful year in many people's lives. Um, So my prayer this morning is that with whatever you are going through, that it is the Holy Spirit that is speaking to you this morning. My prayer is that uh, the Holy Spirit may hide me, that these words may not be my words, but may be his words to you that may speak to you in a special way this morning. So I ask you to close your eyes, and for the next 30 seconds, I pray that you may ask him to speak to you in a special way this morning from this message. Would you do that? Lord Jesus, we want to hear from you today. Holy Spirit, we want you to speak to us today. You know the words that we need to hear. And they are different words for different people. So my prayer, Lord, is that you may hide me. That the Holy Spirit may speak through uh, the words that I speak, that may touch hearts, that lives may be transformed for your glory. In Jesus' name. Amen. So if you'll turn with me into your Bibles to 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 to 17, we're going to be talking about two incompatible loves this morning. 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 to 17 says this, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. So this is a true story. When um, John gave uh, this passage for me to talk about, I kept reading the topic of the passage the two incompatible loves, and kept on wondering, even though I'm not a a seminary student and didn't go to seminary school, I just couldn't understand what I would be speaking about. I kept on going to the five loaves and two fishes and kept on thinking about how I could talk about them being incompatible. You see, when I read it, I read it as two incompatible loaves, not two incompatible loves. So it took me about two weeks to finally read it as two incompatible loves, and then I read the passage, right? 
Now, just because I could read the title did not make it an easy topic. This is actually a very difficult topic to talk about, difficult passage to speak about. So as I, I share with you, and I share with you from what I've asked the Holy Spirit to speak to me, I'm as speaking as much to me as I am to all of you. This passage, though, is not for the faint-hearted. So if any of you here do not want to be a little pushed or prodded, I would ask that you all can leave now. Okay, well, I'm glad that you all are, are, are still here. Um, and just because I look at some of you, I'm not trying to point at each of you. I'm not trying to insinuate at one of you. It might just be that you're the one who's awake. Um, or maybe, just maybe, that the Holy Spirit is speaking to you this morning. So I have a question for you. Who is driving your life and your decisions. Think about that for a minute. Who is driving your life and your decisions? So I have three uh, scenarios with three different people. Uh, the first person is Susie. Susie is a manager in a big company and has never been late to work, ever. Never, ever been late to work. And she's on her way to win the Never Late Award at work which in addition to getting $1,000, she gets the prestige of being awarded that in front of all of the staff by the CEO of this huge company. So one morning, as she's about to go to work, and she's a little bit later than usual, but she thinks she can still make it there five minutes early, the doorbell rings. As she opens the door, she notices that it's one of her neighbors, and she asks her for some coffee if she has any to spare. Susie looks at her eyes and she sees that her eyes are red as if it's been, as if she's, she's been crying. And she's thinking about, should I ask her if she's okay? She realizes if she asks her if she's okay, she might be late to work and not win the never late award. And she wonders what she should do. The second scenario is about a boy named Noah. Now, Noah is a junior high school student and is pretty popular in school. So far, he's been able to be involved in sports and do well in class and has been able to also stay out of trouble. He has avoided those crazy parties that some of his friends have gone to that he knows that he shouldn't be involved in. There's also a girl that he likes in school. His friends find out that his parents are leaving for the weekend and they ask him to throw a party at his house. And they said that if he does throw a party at his house, he'll probably be a little bit more popular and that girl might come over as well. In addition to that, they also tell him that he doesn't have to worry that they will help to clean up the house afterwards. He knows that there might be some singing and dancing, but he figures that he should be able to clean up and it should be okay. Plus, the girl that he likes will be there as well. He's not sure what to do. The third person is Joshua. Joshua works hard five days a week. He works eight to nine hours a day, earning a good living. He has a good family with his spouse and three children. He is busy, but he's able to balance his life and still be involved in church. He has a nice home that he's half paid off, and he has two cars that he's paid off already. One Saturday, while at home, he gets a letter from a very prestigious company 
with a job offer with a much better salary. In fact, he's going to be able to make a lot of money. The only thing is that he has to leave the state pretty often. He'll be driving a lot of time, and he's going to have a lot of meetings. He predicts it'll take about 60 to 80 hours a week, and he won't have as much time for his family, and especially hardly any time at church at all because it involves a lot of Sundays working. But it's a great opportunity with a really good salary that he'll be able to get a bigger home for his family. What should he do, he wonders. Before going back to the verses on 1 John 2, I want to give a little introduction to 1 John. Um, so as you know, uh, this was written by John the disciple, the, one of Jesus' closest disciples, and the disciple that, that Jesus loved. Probably written about between 80, 80 85, and 90 uh, from Ephesus before John got exiled to Patmos. At this time, Jerusalem had been destroyed and Christians were scattered throughout the empire. The main problem at this time was that Christianity had been there for more than a generation and Christians had started to get complacent. Many of the Christians were starting to conform to the world's standards and failing to stand for Christ and compromising their faith. Doesn't this sound familiar? So let's go back to 1 John 2.15. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. That's pretty strong, right? What is he, what is he saying? What are we being told there? Is, he, is John tell, telling us not to love our spouses, not to love our children, not to love our parents? Of course not, right? Otherwise, he wouldn't tell us in other parts of the scripture to exactly do that, to love our spouses, to love our children, to love our siblings. Um, And not loving the world does not mean that we're not to enjoy or utilize the good gifts that God has given us in the world either. We see in James 1.17, every good and perfect gift is from above. God provides us with many good things to enjoy, and we ought to receive them with thanksgiving. 1 Timothy 4.4 4 says, For everything God created is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. So what is he telling us in 1 John 2.15? Well, first we can see that this is a commandment, right? He says, Do not love the world. Then we need to understand that it is not the created world itself that is sinful. He is telling us that the world system is in rebellion against God. That the spirit of the world, which comes from the God of this world, Satan, is against God and his ways. We can read this in Ephesians 2, 1-3, and we can read this also in 1 Corinthians 2:12, That Satan draws our heart away from God, and we are not to love it. That's what he means by that. Even though he tells us that we can enjoy the things that he has created, he also tells us not to love the material possessions in the world. He says that if anyone loves the world, the Father is not in them. What does that mean? If anyone desires or pursues the things of the world so as to place his happiness on those things and not spiritual or heavenly things, The love of the Father is not in them. We've heard this before. One cannot love 
two masters. Love of the world pushes out love for God and vice versa. Let's look at the next verse. 1 John 2.16 says, For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. So let's look at each one of them individually. Let's look at the lust of the flesh firstly. So what things can John be talking about when he's talking about the lust of the flesh? A lot of us will always be thinking about um, sexual immorality maybe. And that is definitely one of the things that he's talking about. And this, again, is not an easy topic to talk about. And sometimes not an easy topic to talk about at church. But it is a topic that needs to be talked about. And he's talking about lots of different things when he's talking about sexual immorality. Um, Anything that is uh, lusting, that is not a person who is your spouse, that's one of the things he's talking about. One of the things he's talking about it can, can involve pornography. And I wanted to present a few statistics out there just to let you know how pervasive this is and how we need to be careful about this. According to the Nielsen Company, in February 2010, the number of people using a work computer to visit sexually oriented websites was as high as 28%. During the month, the average worker was estimated to spend one hour and 38 minutes on such sites. The societal costs of pornography are staggering. The financial cost to the business productivity in the U.S. alone is estimated to be $16.9 billion annually. But the human toll, particularly among our youth and our families, is far greater. According to Church Magazine in 2012, 90% of children ages 8 to 16 have viewed porn. The largest consumers are 12 to 17-year-old boys. 70% of men aged 18 to 34 visit a porn site in a typical month. If you think that you are not in that category, so you don't have to guard yourself, well, here are a few more statistics. One in six women struggle with porn addiction. 50% of pastors regularly look at porn sites. 38% of adults say that porn is morally acceptable. Isn't this shocking? So what does the Bible say about this? We can see in 1 Corinthians 6, 18 to 20, flee, flee from it. Verse 19 says that if you are a Christian, your bodies are a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, and you are not your own because you were bought at a price. And we were bought at a very, very precious price, the blood of Jesus Christ. So let me ask you, who is driving your life and your decisions? Are there other lusts of the flesh that we should be concerned about? Sure. Well, what about food and drink? So some of you might be thinking, yeah, for sure, drinks, you know, with with alcoholic beverages and stuff. But food? Really food? Well, even when we look at Genesis 3 at the beginning, with uh, Genesis 3, 6, the devil tempted Eve by the fruit that looked pleasing. And we read in Matthew 4, after Jesus had fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, when he had gone, the devil tried to tempt Jesus by asking him to turn the stones into bread. 
But what did Jesus say? It is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on the word that comes from the mouth of God. So some of you might actually be so in love with food that that is what actually drives you. Or for some, it might be the love of too much alcoholic beverages and indulging in that too much. So let me ask you, who or what is driving your life and decisions? Verse 16 goes on to mention the lust of the eyes. There are people that the lust of the flesh is really not much of a temptation. Uh, for them, the lust of the eyes might be a greater problem. And what does John talk about when he's talking about that? One of the things can be riches and possessions. And maybe that is a way that we can fall. So is being rich a sin? No. Is having possessions wrong? No. However, the love of riches and possessions, that is where we need to guard against. First Timothy 6, 9 to 10 says this, those that want to get rich fall into a temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Hebrews 13:5 says this, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. He tells us to be content with what we have because he will not leave us or forsake us. He has got it. And in this world, a lot of times, contentment is so hard, isn't it? It's hard to be content. But he tells us to trust in him, that he's got it under control. When he talks about the lust of the eyes, another equally if not more dangerous thing is looking at what other people have and wanting it talking about envy. The meaning is to look at with ill will. James 4, 1-2 says, What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but do not have, so you kill. This does not come from the Father, but from the world. The king of this earth, the devil, roams around trying to get people to be envious, and creating a desire in them to have more and more riches. It's natural to compare what others have, right? In the Indian and, and Asian culture, traditional uh, Asian and Indian parents often want to have their child be the, the youngest when they go to school and finish the youngest um, and then go into um, medical school or engineering school the youngest. Um, and then for many parents today, it is about, about grades, right? Getting, getting good grades and looking at other people's kids and thinking, wow, that child is doing so well. And, uh, that child is getting all, all A's. Now, children, listen to me. I'm not saying that you should not be striving to do your best. God asks us to do our best. But compared to eternity, does that change what their true rewards will be? Does that change their character? Does that make them have more fruits of the Spirit? 2 Corinthians 5, 9-10 says this, So we make it our goal to please Him, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each of us may receive what is due us 
for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. So don't be distracted and envious about what others have. Think more of what God has given you and if you are using it to the fullest. Did you all hear that? Think about what God has given you and if you are using that to, to the fullest. So I'd encourage you parents to be thinking about eternity when you're talking to your children and not comparing to others. And I would say this to myself as well. So what is driving your life and decisions? Next, the verse talks about pride of life. This speaks about pride of being the greatest or the most important. That's a tough part of the passage, isn't it? Even those of us that think that we don't really struggle with the lust of the flesh or the lust of the eyes, sometimes the pride of life can be a challenge, even if you don't think that you have it. It is something that I personally think is part of the verse that is the most challenging, especially when we compare ourselves to the standard of Christ. Look at this in John 13, 4-5, talking about Jesus. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Wow! Can you imagine this? This was Jesus, God incarnate, come into the world and washing his disciples' feet. Does that make you a little uncomfortable? Good if it does. It should. It should make us feel a little uncomfortable. Again, we read in Philippians 2, 3 to 4, Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. And the Bible speaks about this in, in multiple passages throughout the Bible. Even the disciples, right, were not immune to this. In Luke 9:46, speaks about an argument that broke out among the disciples about who was the greatest, right? And in verse 48, Jesus says to them, the least among you will be the greatest. Wow, that's so contrary to our world's uh, thought and teaching, right? It's all about me, me, me. Look at, look at me. Uh, look out for yourself. Let's rise to the top. And this is not what Jesus is saying. Not that saying hard work is not good, but only thinking about yourself and not serving others is not what Jesus expects. Ephesians 6.12 says this, We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And it seems like when I get uh, older year by year or even month by month, this verse is a really, really powerful and true verse to me. There is a lot of spiritual battles going on. And the Satan and Satan and the devil is prowling around to look at our lives and trying to destroy our lives. This is a spiritual battle that we face each day. And one of those things is that Satan wants us to be prideful. He does not want any one of us to absolutely surrender to the Lord. He knows when the Lord's people are in absolute surrender to the Lord, he cannot do anything. When we are prideful, 
what is another thing that usually happens? We usually don't have time for other people. We only think about time for ourselves. It's all about me, 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 and not about him, 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 and other people. Think about this verse in Philippians 2, 7 through 8. But emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, being made in the likeness of men, being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. What an example our Lord Jesus was. So let me ask you, who is driving your life and decisions? Finally, verse 17 says, The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. What is the purpose of your life? Why do you think you were created? Whoever does the will of God lives forever. I think that Francis Chan does a great job with an illustration And even though I could try to imitate him, I think it's just better if you hear from him yourself. So I'm just going to play this three-and-a-half-minute video. So going back to that verse again, the world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. That's what we're instructed to do, doing the will of God. And we get to spend eternity with him. So let's go back to those three people that I mentioned earlier on at the beginning, Susie, Noah, and Joshua, and let's see what they decided. So Susie, who was not sure whether she should ask the the person outside in the door if she was okay, decides to go ahead and ask her if she's okay. She tells her that her parents had just passed away the night before, and they live overseas, and that's why she had been crying. Susie gets the opportunity to share her faith with the lady, And the lady, surprisingly, asks her how she can ask Jesus into her heart. Susie is able to lead the lady to come to a knowing knowledge of Jesus Christ. Susie ends up not getting the Never Late Award, but she doesn't mind. She now has a friend for life and a sister in Christ. Noah the junior high student decided not to have the party at his parents' house. Thank goodness. He ended up in the senior year not being the most popular person, but he was well-respected and known as a man of principles. He ended up getting into a college of his dreams and playing basketball and going on to be a successful engineer. He ended up meeting a beautiful woman who loved the Lord and having a real solid Christian marriage with his three children. Joshua, who got that very prestigious job offer with a better salary, but more hours in the week, decided not to take that job. It was a very difficult decision, though, for him. In the end, after praying and listening to God, he decided to stay with his job and decided to continue spending more time with his family and his church. His family really admired and appreciated him for that decision. And he ended up spending a wonderful time being able to spend time with his family and his church. So let's go back to that verse. 1 John 2:15 to 17 Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, 
love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. This is not an easy passage for anyone, and that definitely includes me. It is about dying to self, and that is hard. And actually, that is impossible without Christ. For those of you that do not know Christ, that's the first step. You need Jesus. If anyone here does not know Christ and would like to talk to me about it afterwards, I'd be glad to, or to speak to one of the elders. We would love to be able to share Jesus with you. For those of you that know Christ, it's still not easy, as we still have our earthly flesh here on earth. However, praise God, Christ has overcome the world. There is a book by Andrew Murray called Absolute Surrender. In that book, he asks the question, are you willing to surrender yourselves absolutely into his hands, despite whatever circumstances you are going through? So as I pray, I ask you to answer these two questions, each one of you. Who is driving your life and your decisions? And are you willing to surrender yourselves absolutely, absolutely into Christ's hands? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you, Lord, for who you are. I thank you, Holy Spirit, for speaking to us. I pray, Lord, that the words that we've heard today may not be like the man that looks in the mirror and forgets about what he looks like but that these may be words that we may put into practice as we leave from here. I pray, Lord, like the song says, that we may build our life upon your love and that we may trust in you alone. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.